Hi everyone, welcome to Faith Community Church. We're so glad that you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about our church, you can check us out at woodstockfcc.com. That's woodstockfccfaithcommunitychurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning again. We are working our way through our Abide series, as I trust you know. And in this series, we're exploring John 15, one of my favorite passages, which I trust you know. We've talked a lot about that. And we're exploring some of the major themes through it, uh, where, where Jesus tells us that we need to abide in him. But it's also this really good news where it's not just that we need to abide in him, but he promises to also abide in us. And, and so we began last week uh, exploring this passage, starting where really we should start, at the beginning of the passage, where in John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine. That's significant, and we talked about that last week. I won't recap everything we said there. You can go back and watch it, but Jesus is the true. He's the authentic. He is the real vine. He is the true Heinz ketchup, and if that doesn't make sense to you, you need to sign up for our newsletter. You would have get that joke if you read the newsletter last week, okay? I'm not going to give you more. That's, that's your uh, taste to say, man, I really should be signed up for that newsletter. Jesus promises you things like peace. John 15, 11, he promises us his joy, not just any joy. Elsewhere, he promises us life itself, and he can actually give you these things. Why? Because he has them to give. Remember uh, Viticulture 101? Anyone remember that from last week? We did Viticulture 101. It says, source determines substance. So we are to connect with Jesus, the true vine, Why? So that the substance of our fruit matches the source, that is Jesus, and we will grow Christ-like fruit in our lives. That is a Christ-like character, a Christ-like attitude, and we'll carry out his Christ-like mission. Everything else or anyone else that promises you the things that Jesus says he can give, they will always fall short because they can't give what they don't have. And so we go and we connect with Jesus, the true vine. Today, though, I want to finish verse 1. We only made it halfway through verse 1, and I want to finish the second half of verse 1. Now, I promise we won't walk through every verse in John 15 this slow, uh, but today I want to finish the second half of verse 1. So here's what it says. John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. We looked at that last week. Here's the next part. And he says, my father is the vine grower. Other translations say my father is the gardener. And as I spent time in this passage this week, as I spent time thinking about it, I began to to have this idea or this realization that those who have a green thumb, those who might call themselves gardeners, any of you out there? Anyone have a green thumb? There you go, a couple of you, gardeners. Those of you, or maybe those who want to have a green thumb and failed, anyone out there like that? You want to have a green thumb? Yeah. For those of you who have a green thumb, or maybe you wanted, you tried and failed, I think this passage would mean quite a bit more to you than it does to others like me. Me, I don't have a green thumb. I'm not a gardener. One day, I want to have a little vegetable garden. I talk about this all the time. You can ask Bethany. I want to have my own little vegetable garden, mostly because I think it will be a fun little hobby. But also, I have this crazy theory that if I'm invested in the growing process, I might actually start eating my vegetables. I don't know. We'll see if it happens. Uh, But regardless, if my dream, my little tiny dream of having a tiny little vegetable garden ever comes true, 
I imagine this verse will take on a new significance for me too. And here's why I think that. I think because gardeners are, are far more aware of the work involved in caring for plants than those of us who simply don't have green thumbs. It's one of those things, at least I think, it's one of those things, there's lots of them in life, where you can think from an outsider's perspective, you understand, but you don't really know until you firsthand are doing it or trying it. Once you've experienced it firsthand, you realize you, you didn't actually understand the work involved. And, and we know this, gardeners, farmers, they work hard. They're, they're down on their knees, they're, they're getting dirty, they're carefully working the soil, they're getting the right balance of nutrients, they have to apply the fertilizer, they're daily pulling weeds. They often have to put fences or barriers around the plants in their care to protect them from those things, those pests that might come and steal or destroy. You see, a good gardener does everything in their power to give the plants the best care possible. They want to give and provide the plants everything they need to grow healthy, strong, and of course, to be fruitful. They, they don't put all the hard work in into the, the, the growth of this plant, into the soil, into the nutrients to see a stem pull up and grow. They're not excited by that, but of course they do it to see the flower bloom. Likewise, you don't plant fruits or vegetables to look at the nice leaves, but it's to see the fruits and the vegetables actually bud and mature and to actually enjoy the fruits of their labor. And so it's a lot of work, right? It's caring, it's protecting, it's monitoring, it's watching over, and it's on the daily. Anyone who, who likes to garden uh, or has a little garden, or maybe just people who have, like to have a nice lawn, you know this, it has to be a daily thing. If you leave it for a week or two or longer, you know those weeds are going to quickly take over. And so on the daily, they're picking out those weeds. It's a daily job that requires attention, attention and effort. And so we're told here in verse 1 of John 15 that Jesus is the vine, the true vine. He is the source of life, and we connect with him. And as we do, we are going to find the nourishment we need for growth, but ultimately to become fruitful. Jesus is the vine, but it also says, and God, the Father, is the gardener. And as the gardener, he watches over us. He protects us. He gives us what we need. And we can really sum it up like this. As the gardener, God cares for you and for me. And you know, there are, are so many scriptures that attest to this, that God cares for us, uh, not to mention our own experiences, but I think perhaps the most famously uh, put and, and understood of how God cares for us comes from Psalm 23. Uh, you likely know this well. Uh, maybe you know it from our church back in 2021. We did a series on Psalm 23 uh, called Lay It Down. I can't remember how many weeks. I think we did I think eight or nine weeks on this short six-verse psalm. We spent a lot of time uh, in it. And the good news is you can go back and find that if you want to know more. Aren't we grateful for technology like that? You can go back and find it. It's called Lay It Down. It's on our YouTube channel. This was recorded during one of the lockdowns, so the recording is actually inside of from our house, uh, from the old place we were living. So if you want to go see what our house looked like then, you can check that out. Uh, but, but more to the point, Psalm 23 is probably, more than anything, one of the most well-known Bible verses. Maybe outside of John 3.16, my guess would be Psalm 23 would come second. Um, part, in part, I think it's because we often hear it at funerals, and we go to uh, funerals whether you're a Christian or not, and Psalm 23 is often read there. And, and maybe we hear it at funerals because we want to be reminded of just what it's about, God's comfort and care in those moments of sadness and despair and grief. We want to be reminded of God's comfort and of God's care. 
But uh, I think for a lot of people, because they hear it at funerals, they equate Psalm 23 as a psalm about death. And really, that's not at all what it's about. Instead, it's about what we just said. It's about God's goodness and his care toward his followers. So I want to read it for you. I'm going to read Psalm 23 for you. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are our good shepherd, that you are the gardener who cares for us. And so we pray now as we go through this service that you uh, would care for us by speaking to us, by encouraging us, by equipping us to carry out your will in this world, that we can have fruit produced in our life that looks like Jesus, that we will have a Christ-like attitude and a Christ-like character, and we will carry out the Christ-like mission in the world around us. So we pray then, would you use everything we say, we do, all the stuff that we have already sung, all the noise that happens, would it just be received as joyful and pleasing to you? And as we hold our plans with open hands, would you take them and do with them what you will, for it is your will that is to be done. Give us the courage, give me the courage, Lord, to follow your leading as we go through this service. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So over the years, if you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard sermons that remind you of your need to be committed to God. And that's good. I hope you have heard those kind of sermons because you do need to be committed to God. But how often, you don't have to put your hand up, but you can if you want, I guess. But how often have you heard a sermon that reminds you of how committed God is to you? We talk a lot about our need to be committed to God and that's good, that's important. That's what Jesus says, you need to abide in me. But how often do you hear sermons talking about God's commitment to you where Jesus says, and I will abide in you. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want you to see that as you are connected to Jesus, the vine, God is committed as the gardener, as our good father, to watch over, to protect, and to see to your growth. And that's really what Psalm 23 is all about. God, our good, good father, and how he wants to give, protect, and lead, and guide. And that no matter what valleys you're going to go through in life, that he cares for you so much that he's actually going to be there with you. In that series we did on Psalm 23, uh, way back in 2021, I don't expect you to remember this, but I'm reminding you of it. Uh, I said in that, that series that in this passage of Psalm 23, almost right in the middle are five of the most important words that you need to tuck in your mind. Five of the most important words you'll ever hear. This is the promise for God. The psalmist writes this, For you are with me. He's talking about the darkest valleys in life that he's going through. He's experiencing horrible situations, but he wants to be reminded and he wants us to be reminded that no matter what valleys you go through, even when you pray and you, you, you might desire that God's going to parachute you out, take you out of there and remove you from the situation, but even when that doesn't happen, you are promised this, for you are with me. 
No matter what you go through, no matter the situation in life you are in, God promises to be there with you. In fact, Jesus gives us that same promise. Do you know that? In the Great Commission, we were just talking about that. Jesus, he, he sends us out to go and make, not church attenders, but to make disciples. And as he's sending us out, he, he gives almost the same identical five-word promise. He says, I am with you always. I am with you always. How good to know we never travel alone. Not on our best days or in our best moments, and certainly not in our worst. God is with us. And as he travels with us, he cares for us. And I want to show you this morning how our good Heavenly Father, how good our Heavenly Father is, and the promises that he gives us, especially I'm going to look at the last verse from Psalm 23 to help us understand his commitment to care for us as our gardener. So Psalm 23, 6, it starts like this. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's talking about here. It's talking about now. It's not some other day. It's not some other time. But right now, God's goodness and his love is going to follow you. Other translations say pursue you. It's chasing you. It's going all around you. And then the verse finishes with this great, great promise. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that first part is about the here and now, but this last part is about then. It's about heaven. It's about our future home as those who are connected to the true vine. As followers of Jesus, we can confidently hold on to this promise that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so from this last verse of Psalm 23, I, I want to show you three ways. Three. Three ways. How many times can I say three? <laughs> three ways. That's the last time. That God cares for you as your good heavenly father, as the gardener who loves and cherishes, protects, enriches, and helps that plant. By the way, that's you. You're the plant. You're the branch. The father helps you work towards fruitfulness. So here we go. Here's number one. How do you know God cares for you? Because his goodness is with you. Psalm 23, 6. We just read it. We're going to read it a couple times today. It says this. Surely your goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. So what does that mean? What does it mean that God's goodness will follow you all the days of your life? We know from experience what it does not mean. It does not mean you will only experience good things in life. It does not mean you will only experience good things in life. We have all experienced bad things. We live in a fallen world. Sin is present. A lot of bad things happen. It's not just that bad things happen, but we know that bad things happen even to those who are connected to the true vine. Bad things happen even to Christians. So what does it mean then to say that God's goodness is with you? It means this, that ultimately God will ensure that good will come out of everything that happens even the bad stuff. That's his promise. It's right from his word. You can read it in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything. Someone say everything for me. Everything. Thank you. God causes everything, not most things, but everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose is for them. Now I want to be careful and very clear here. Not everything that happens is good. That's not what this is saying. And I want to be clear here because people have misused and abused this verse as a trite catch-all to tell people who are suffering or going through something horrible, basically saying, well, you just need to get over it because it's going to turn out good anyways. 
They tell people who are going through these horrible situations, unimaginable things are happening in life. They say, you don't need to stress about it. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be angry or upset. It's fine. Don't worry. Good's going to come from it. Anyways, if that has ever been said to you, I want to apologize sincerely. That's an abuse and misuse of God's word. That's not what this verse is saying. And I am so sorry. Can you imagine with me? This is in my notes, so this is free of charge. Can you imagine? We read in scripture, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane one of the most stressful nights of his life. It says that he is so stressed that the capillaries in his, his blood vessels are actually popping and he is sweating blood. He is filled with anxiety. The disciples go in the him and say, what's going on? What's going on? And Jesus says, my soul is in anguish to the point of death. He is going through something, okay? And it is horrible. And can you imagine the disciples said to him, well, you don't really need to worry about it. Good's going to come from it anyways. And yet we say that to people all the time. Listen, if someone has ever told you to get over what you're going through, because good's going to come from it anyways, I want to apologize. I I really sincerely do. I'm so sorry that has happened to you. I want to be clear here. That's not what this verse is saying. The verse is not about minimizing what you are going through. Hear this so clearly. It is not about minimizing the experiences you've had or are having and the terrible things that have happened in your life, the struggles you have faced. It's not about minimizing them. It's not about saying they're actually nothing at all. Uh, instead, this verse is not about minimizing what you go through. It's instead about maximizing your understanding of the goodness of God. It's not about minimizing what you are going through or have gone through but it's about maximizing your understanding of the goodness of God. So if you are going through something or have gone through something, and if you're not in either of those categories, you will be going through something. Those are the only three states we have. If you are going through something, and it's just horrible, it's just horrendous, knowing that God will bring good from it doesn't make what you have experienced all of a sudden a good thing. It's still a terrible thing, but what joy to know, what joy to actually know that God will make it good, that the goodness of God will follow you. That God is so good, he will take everything, even the things tainted by sin, and ultimately use it for good. We know this to be true. We see it played out and displayed in the greatest act of love in the history where we see Jesus, who's on the cross, he is suffering, he is dying, and he stayed. He could have gotten down. We talked about this just a few weeks ago, but he stayed. It's the greatest act of love in the history of the world. And as he lived through the shame of it, as he lived through the agony and the pain as he died, that was horrible, okay? But God, who works all things for good for those who love him, are called according to his purpose. He took this horrible thing and he brought about something great. And we get this major theme all through scripture, and we see it most displayed here, which is through death comes resurrection. Through death comes resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have this restored relationship where we can abide in Jesus as he promises to abide in us. So how can you be sure God cares for you? Number one, because his goodness is with you. And as the good gardener, the one who protects, watches over, cares for, he promises to always be with you. And he promises that good will come out of everything. Let's look at number two. How can we be sure God cares for you? Because his mercy is working in you. Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and love, it's translated love here, will follow me all the days of my life. Life. So God's goodness is following you all the days of your life, but you also have his love following you too. Other translations you might know, they say mercy. I had to go look it up here. And uh, of the 249, 250 times this uh, Hebrew word is translated, 149 times it's translated as mercy. So that's its main function, its main use here. Um, but it can also mean things like unfailing love. And so that's where we get this 
translation from. I, I'm choosing to camp on the word mercy here, so stick with me. So it says, surely God's goodness and his mercy will follow you. That's the second way you can know that God cares for you, because his mercy is working in you. So what's mercy? One definition I heard that I, I, I liked, it said this, mercy is grace in action. Mercy is grace in action. So you know God cares for you because his mercy is going to pursue you all the days of your life. And you say, okay, but what's the difference between his goodness and his mercy? That's a good question. And I find a helpful distinction or differentiation to be this. Goodness is when God gives me what I don't deserve. It's free. It's a gift. It's unearned. We might call it a blessing. We, We haven't done anything to make us worthy of his goodness. But mercy, on the other hand, is when God does not give me what I do deserve. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but if God gave me everything I deserve, I know I would not have hope for today, let alone tomorrow. But because of his mercy, his grace in action, I'm here and I have hope. Is it any wonder we sing so many songs about his amazing grace? It is amazing. And maybe you might recall at the beginning of service, I I read for our call to worship as a time to help us draw into the presence of God. Psalm 103 I want to read some portions of it for you again, and I want you to pay attention to how the psalmist describes all that God does for you and for me. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm 103, verses 2 to 8 first here. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles, the eagles. The Lord works righteous and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Isn't that amazing? All these things that God does, he forgives, he heals, he crowns, he fills, he renews in all of these things. Now listen to this next section, Psalm 103, 9 to 12. And pay special attention here now to what it specifically is saying about God's goodness and his mercy. It says, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not, listen, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that amazing? He does not punish us or deal with us as we deserve. His unfailing love, his mercy is great. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. They are gone. He is tender. He is compassionate. God's goodness and his mercy are great. Hear it again, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Listen, how do you know God cares for you? His goodness is with you. His mercy is working in you. Number three, his glory is waiting for you. Back to Psalm 23, 6 again. It says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And, someone say and. Good, someone's out there. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're someone that makes notes in your Bibles, I would underline this word, and it's an important word in this passage because it connects today with tomorrow. 
the goodness and mercy of God will follow you all the days of your life. But this is the great news of the Christian life. Your, your, your experience of God's blessings, God's blessings do not end with death. Isn't that something? We can know all the various ways in Psalm 23 that God cares for you. And uh, he makes you lie down and rest. He leads you to still waters. He refreshes your soul. He guides you in the path of righteousness. All of these things and more. But these truths, these promises are not the big moment. They're not the aha. Instead, they're the buildup. They're the crescendo working towards that final act of our life where we will experience the glory of God in the fullness. And we will proclaim as we find himself in his presence, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So because of God's goodness giving us what we don't deserve, his mercy not giving us what we do deserve, we need not fear death as those connected to the true vine because we can cling to this promise that one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Many of you, I imagine, remember the great man Billy Graham. Reverend Graham passed, uh, I think, four years ago now. Uh, but while he was alive and traveling and preaching, he, he famously said this. I have this quote for you. He said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. How do you know God, the good gardener, cares for you because his goodness is with you? because his mercy is working in you, and because his glory is waiting for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I love this. Despite having God's goodness and mercy following, pursuing us all the days of our lives, forever, until the moment of death, God is going to pursue us with his goodness and mercy. Despite this, despite experiencing it, we are told we still can't even imagine we have no idea. It's beyond our comprehension. We can't even imagine what it'll be like to experience it all in heaven, in his presence, as we dwell in his house forever. Perhaps maybe the most clearest picture we do get of heaven from Scripture is from Revelations 21.4, where it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings described it famously by saying, all sad things would become untrue. Always like that. All things that are sad, all things that are tainted by sin, they will become untrue. See, Jesus is the true vine, and we need to abide in him as he abides in us. And that is how we are going to be fruitful, as he gives us the nourishment we need. That is how we are going to experience peace in our lives. That is how we are going to experience joy. That's what it talks about in verse 11. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things. Why? So that you can have my joy. And he tells us it's an overflowing, abundant joy. But we need to understand that while Jesus is the vine supplying us with what we need to grow, God is the gardener, and he is watching over he is protecting, he is caring, he is nurturing, and he is giving us everything we need so that we can be fruitful. That's what it says in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything. Someone say everything. Not most things. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. God's not holding back on you. He's giving you everything you need, everything you need to be fruitful, everything you need to bloom right now, right where you're planted. And all it requires of you is to abide. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your ever-present uh, presence in our life. I think of even Psalm 21, where I think it says eight or nine times in a short five verses that you are watching over us. You are watching over us. You are watching over us. You watch over us while we're awake and while we're asleep. You watch over us whether we're aware of it or not. Your presence is always with us. You are pursuing us and chasing us with your goodness and your mercy. Help us, Lord, then to be more aware of your presence around us on a day-to-day basis. Help us to be more aware of your protection, your guidance, your goodness. Sustain us through the difficult moments of life. We pray even, Lord, that we would be granted the benefit of seeing the results of those difficult moments where we know good will come from them. Your word tells us that. And sometimes we don't get to see it, but we pray, Lord, if it's possible, give us a glimpse of it. Help us. Give us the hope and help us sustain us through those moments. We pray now then, Lord, as we prepare to slow down and quiet down, just take a moment to listen. We pray that you would speak, that you would speak clearly. And we, we pray specifically then that all of the sounds or voices, even our own inner voice, would just be silenced for this moment as we take time to hear from you. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to do just that. We do it at the end of every service at Faith Community. We call it Take Two. It's where we give you two minutes, and we want you to ask God two questions. And we do this not just as a means of reflecting on the service, but with an underlying and firm belief that God speaks, and what he has to say is always worth listening to. And so we want to give you an opportunity before you go to slow down, and hear God speak into your life. And so we want you to ask these two questions. First one is, ask God, what is one thing you're saying to me? What is one thing you want me to leave from this service knowing today? And it's really important that you ask that, but it's so important you don't stop there and always go to question two, which says, now that you've spoken to me, what do you want me to do about it? Now that you've spoken to me, what steps of obedience are you asking me to take? How do you want me to put this into action? So we're going to give you two minutes to ask God these two questions. And then I'll come back and I'll close our service. So we'll start that timer for you right about now.
Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. Why don't you stand as we do the benediction? Last week I gave us a bit of a different benediction. And uh, we're going to try it again, but I'm going to get some help this time. I need the kids here to help me out because grown-ups are really bad at this. Last time I got you to do some actions, but the kids are going to make sure you're going to do them. They're going to watch you. So you got to make sure you're going to do them. And there's a little bit of actions I shared. This came from a devotional that we do as a family, and it's just been so great. Lewis loves to do it, and I realize it's such a great way for us to pray as we head into a new week. So I pray that you would make this your prayer this morning. I think we have it up on the screen for you. So why don't you say the words with me as we pray, but I'll tell you the action, then we'll pray the words. So we're going to pray as our benediction. We start by putting our hand on our heart. Can we do that? Okay, let's pray these words together. We pray. Can you pray with me? Father God, fill us with your love. Help us to love you and everything that you've made. Next, we point to our eyes. Let's make sure we're pointing right to our eyes. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, help us to see you and to see others the way that you see them too. And last, we point to our ears. And we pray this together. Holy Spirit, help us to hear you and give us the courage to do what you say. And we say, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining church today.